Jack Conti is a quirky, smart, and talented musician turned tech entrepreneur, CEO, and co-founder of a site called Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, Jack basically built it to help creative people get paid for what they love to do. On Patreon, you can let your fans become active participants in the work they love by offering them a monthly membership. You give them access to exclusive content, community, and insight into your creative process. In exchange, you get the freedom to do your best work and the stability you need to build an independent creative career. And just this week, Jack and team raised another $155 million Series F round at a $4 billion valuation. Yes, that's a billion with a B, to ensure they can continue to do next-level stuff. Between NFTs, Beeble's $69 million sale, to musician Jay-Z joining the Twitter board and announcing super followers to compete with Substack and Patreon, Jack believes these are all basically the same convergence of what he calls the second renaissance. Join us as we do a deep dive into this fascinating world. Here we go. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, our friends at the Dot Store Domains, where you can get your own custom Dot Store domain to set up your own website to sell products or services. You know, different from any .com or .net or other extension, the Dot Store extension really gives your customers a destination to shop for your stuff. Think about your domain name .store. It instantly tells people your website is a store and lets your website and URL do the marketing for you. I tried it out myself and I'm loving it. I set up my own .store with Behind the Brand. It's behindthebrand.store and you can find some of my favorite books from best-selling authors who've also been on the show and give me a great deal to sell their books or sell a few copies of their books better than you get on Amazon. You can get your own .store domain by going to my special link at bit.ly forward slash your custom store. That's http colon forward slash forward slash bit.ly forward slash your custom store. Just go to bit.ly forward slash your custom store and you can check it out. Now let's get into the episode. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Jack Conti. I'm the CEO and co-founder at Patreon, and you're watching Behind the Brand with Brian Elliott. I was at a cocktail party. It was like a Christmas kind of thing, and my parents had invited me to this party. So it was with a bunch of their friends. This is at the time when Pomplamoose is really cranking, so we just did those Hyundai commercials. We bought a house, we built recording studios. Like, I was feeling pretty good, actually. Mingling, this fellow said, hey, Jack, what do you do? And I said, uh, I'm a musician. He like shakes my hand, he gets really sober. He puts a hand on my shoulder and he says, I hope you make it someday. And like, um, when you're dealing with the duds over and over and over, a, a sentence like that can just be so uh, hurtful and raw and intense. Um, and, uh, my hope for, for creators moving forward is that at least if you have a monthly income, it can take some of the pain away from that. At least if you don't have to worry about the next thing uh, not making you any money, but you have a regular paycheck and you know how much money you're going to make next month, um, that it can reduce some of that pain associated with just the plight of the creator. So that's, that's my hope for Patreon and, and, and for all of you too. Hi everyone, I'm Brian Elliott. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Brand. Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I usually ask my guests, how did you get this job? Oh, how did I get this job? Uh, accidentally. <laughs> um, I, I stumbled into it. Um, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been a YouTuber for uh, a decade and a half. And in 2013, when when I started the company, I, I didn't think I was really starting a company. I guess I kind of, I kind of knew I was starting a company, but um, you know, I had, I had been working on this music video by myself for three months. I had poured my savings account into it. I maxed out two credit cards. I, uh, I uh, got these two robots to play electronic music with me in my, in my uh, converted dog kennel, uh, which, which became my recorded studio, my recording studio. And, uh, and then um yeah, I, I, I got to the point where I finished this video. I'd spent 10 grand. I had spent three months of my life on it. I was about to upload it to YouTube. And I thought, I'm going to get a million views in this video. <laughs> and it's going to make me 166 bucks in ad revenue. And I can't 
take that. I can't do that anymore. And I sketched out a, an idea for a, you know, a, a solution to that problem on 14 pieces of printer paper. And I guess that's how I got my job. Let's go back in the chronology a little bit. I like to ask people what, you know, like, let's go to young Jack. What'd you want to be when you were a little kid, when you grew up? And I asked that question with some context because I think there's, you know, several buckets, but let's break it down to two. There's a bucket of young people who are coming out of high school or college and, and wondering what they want to do with their life or what they're going to do with their life. And so we're sort of talking to them, giving them some, some you know, advice from people who have some life experience. But then there's also a group of people, especially right now in this climate, whether you're middle-aged or whatever, like you're hitting the reset button because your whole world just got turned upside down and things are changing. And there's an opportunity or there's a necessity to hit the reset. And so I talked about what you wanted to do and like the signals and how you figured out how to get there. Mm. You know, growing up, I when I was very young, I went through a couple of phases. First, I wanted to be a Muppeteer. I loved the Muppets and mm -hmm. I just, I just, I loved all the Muppet movies. I loved, uh, yeah, I loved Jim Henson studios. I loved everything they made. Yeah. And then I, I found out about claymation when I was a young teenager, like probably 12 or 13, I started watching Wallace and Gromit films yeah. and got a, got a, uh, my, my friend had a, a little movie camera and you could double click the recording button to take approximately one frame. It ended up being maybe, instead of a full 24 frames per second is probably more like 10 frames per second. So not like full blown animation, but you could get pretty close. And, uh, and I started making animations and then I wanted to be an animator <laughs> and I, I made animations for years and years and years all the way through college. Um, but I, I always wanted to be some form of, you know, artist in, in some sense. And, and, you know, the whole time I was playing piano and in bands and, and making music and making films. And in college, I, I made films. And I thought maybe I want to be a filmmaker and animators are filmmakers. And so there felt like there was some overlap there. Yeah. Um, but it was always something in the arts and something around storytelling. So did you get any pushback from your parents? Like, you know, Jack, you're going to be a starving, starving artist. Go get a real job. Go be an accountant like your uncle or a doctor like your aunt or something. Yeah, it's 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 nuanced um my parents were very supportive of my passions like if i've said anything otherwise i'd be lying like they were very supportive to the point where i pitched them this idea for this anime i wanted to take over a room in in my house and i needed like four years and i wanted to take over a room strip it out build a set put in a, a whole rig and a tripod and a lighting grig and, and do the whole thing and I was just, I was just seeing if I could get the room and my parents not only gave me the room, but they gave me $2,000 to like make this animation. I was probably like, I don't know, 17 or 18. And then like, okay. instead of spending the summer working a job, I got to make this animation. Um, and I spent all the money on the props and the sets and the foam latex and the armatures and the whole thing. So, you know, that like they were incredibly supportive um, of, of my dream. So let me ask, why do you think that they were so supportive? Is it because, you know, they had their heads screwed on straight or was it because they saw like our son is brilliant and we think this could be a launching pad for something bigger. Like, why do you think that they greenlit that? Um, probably. Well, okay. So the, this, that gets a little bit more complicated <laughs> a little bit later. Um, when I finally, I, so at one point I chose the music path versus going to uh, grad school. Now grad school mm -hmm. was filmmaking. I, I had gotten into film school and I was yeah. thinking about going to film school, but I was also in this pop band at the time. And I decided to not go to film school and be in the pop band. And my folks, that was a tough conversation with my parents. Cause I was on the safe track school, you know, get the degree, get a job. Um, and, uh, and that, that was a hard, you know, we sat down and, and they're like, Hey, you know, Jack, actually my mom started the conversation by saying, Jack, you can tell me anything you want in the whole world in this car. I know, you know, you've, you've set this up. I know something you're about to drop something You tell me whatever you want in the whole world. As long as you tell me you're still going to film school. <laughs> and I was like, mom, I'm not going to film school. Um, and so th then that was, you know, there was some push pull there. Um, but why were they so supportive? I think, 
for maybe just because they were really good parents and they knew yeah. that if I just loved what I did, you know, the the kind of rest would follow. And I know that that's that's advice coming from a, a, a privileged person, you know, who's who's had the 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 kind of the leeway to to follow their to follow their passions and follow their dreams. And I and I realize that not everybody has that. And for whatever reason, I think my folks knew that like that I I would figure it out because um, I, I I really liked it like a lot. That's probably an understatement. I loved I loved it. Yeah, I think that's there's some really smart advice uh, that's subtle in there that I want to underscore. Maybe from the parent perspective, because I am one now. You know, I think we have the tendency as parents to project, you know, either fear or uh, our, our own success, our own path onto our progeny, right? And we're like, hey, this worked for me, uh, so this could work for you too. And unfortunately, that's, that's a little bit like saying, you know, this prescription is perfect for me. It should be perfect for you to try it on. It's not always the case. And so I think, you know, if you're a parent, you got to be uh, a little bit wary of that advice because it doesn't always work out. And then if you're a child listening to that advice, I remember a funny story that my wife told me about her dad, who, you know, is a super awesome guy. We're very close. He loves her, you know, more than air. Uh, and, but he said when he, she was a teenager, listen, honey, uh, you should go take as many typing classes as you can so that when you're a secretary, you know, you can really crush it. You know, I'm like, secretary <laughs> like what you mean when she when she runs the company is that what you're talking about dad you know like why are you encouraging her to be a secretary and it's because that was his worldview you know, he, you know he's a boomer and you know he grew up in the generation where maybe that was your path if you were a female but i was like yeah no she probably is going to be the ceo way before me because she's wicked smart and all these things so i think it's we have to be careful uh about how we give the advice and then also the context in which you take it right? Is, is pretty important. I love that analogy of the glasses. I've never heard that before. And I, I like it because I've found in the past that um, I can overcorrect on advice. I'll get advice and I'll think that's the path. I think, at least for me, there are figures in my life who seem like Yoda. It seems like that person has the answer. Mm -hmm. They know the way. All I have to do is listen to them. Yeah. And and time and time again in my life, I've I've let myself be tricked into thinking that there is a leader who knows where to go, and I just have to listen to them. Yeah. And 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 time and time again, I get to a point where that person has given me a piece of advice, and I get to a place in my life, and I realize that's not good advice, and that doesn't apply to me. Yeah. And the lesson that I learn every time I freaking do that, and I wish I would stop doing that, but the lesson that I learn is like use your brain jack like apply your critical thinking skills and like think about what is right for me right now what's right yeah. for me right now what's going to what's going to help me solve the problem i'm trying to solve and and so even when i do when you know when i listen to interviews now and when i'm even when i make videos that's you know are kind of like probably like advicey type videos i always try to frame this here's what i learned and here's what applied to me I don't know that this will apply to you, but here's yeah. how it happened for me. And maybe there's a nugget of truth in there that you could, you know, use in your life somehow. Yeah. It's almost like we need that. Your mileage may vary, you know, <laughs> summer, right? <laughs> like every, every advice video. And by the way, I love your channel. I love, um, I love the music stuff that you do. It's super contemporary and fun and groovy, if I may say so. And also I love your advice channel. Um, I think it's super solid. I mean, you really strike me as an OG, you know, someone who's just been doing it from the get, uh, who's still trying to innovate and uh, not afraid to learn new things or try new things. So good on you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I want to go back to what your mom said, too, and just say one more thing, which is, you know, some of this general advice, like stay in school, it's not necessarily bad. I think, you know, um, intentions, everything, of course, but like the advice that your mom was giving you is sort of a proximity uh, nugget, which is if you could just sort of stay in the proximity of academia, you know, good things will probably happen. It doesn't even really matter whether you get your film degree or degree in botany or 
you know, nuclear physics or whatever. It's just like, you know, when you're in that proximity, good stuff generally happens. Uh, and then when you have a piece of paper too, that you shows that you've completed something, that's not entirely terrible advice. Um, I'm also someone who, who believes that there's lots more than just one right answer. I mean, getting education, getting the degree could be uh, a great thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be the end all be all or leaving school. Like, you know, Elon Musk will tell you, we don't need degrees anymore. Microsoft, Apple's announced the same thing. We don't need people with degrees. We just need smart people to bring their brains and um, solve interesting problems. And we want you, you know, so um, let's go back to your the artist roots. I'm someone who cares uh, about nature versus nurture. I can tell you personal stories about why I care about that. I've shared this on the channel before, but I want to hear from you. How much of this sort of artist in you do you think is, is nature or nurture? Um, I, I like to, to uh, think that I can, and I'm a, I'm a, this I'm a, I'm a optimist. So same here. I'm not a grain of salt, but like, I like to think that if I set my mind to it, I can do whatever I want to do and I can like whatever I want to like, and I can, um, you know, learn anything I want to learn. And, um, and I, I, I try to carry that thought around with me. It's a very empowering feeling. And even if it's not a hundred percent true, I convince myself that it is so that at least I try. <laughs> and, um, uh, and so I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I, I often get a kick out of going against my nature. <laughs> so if I feel like that is just not something I meant to do, I'm not supposed to do that. That's like, that makes me 10 X more excited about it. Cause then, then I get to prove to myself that that philosophy is true. That like, all I have to do is set my mind to it. and I can do it. Like I, you know, speaking frankly, what business do I have being a CEO? Like I'm a YouTuber. I'm an artist. I've been a musician. Like now yeah. like I'm running a tech company. What business do I have running a tech company? And, and like, I've really put my mind to it. I've tried to learn. I've done the executive coaching. I've spent hours. I've read so many books. Like, you know, I, I, I enjoy um, feeling like, Hey, this is something that even if, you know, I don't have the perfect, brain for this or the perfect, you know, demeanor for this or the perfect set of skills for this. Um, I enjoy feeling like I can, I can just make it happen anyway. And mm -hmm. so I guess, um, yeah, I try not to focus too much on, on the, on the nature side, uh, because it goes kind of against that core belief that, well, if I just put my mind to it, I can, I can do it. So the artistry, I guess your question was how much does the, how much, how much does your enjoyment of the art come from, from nature? And I've never had to work to enjoy making art. That, that, uh, that feels, um, I, I just, I really like it and I don't, yeah, I just like it. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if that answers your question. Well, it, just, it reminds me of something Sir Ken Robinson said, you know, uh, he passed away this last year, uh, was really fortunate to spend a little bit of time with him and call him a friend. Uh, and he was on this show a few years ago. And of course he has like the most popular Ted talk of all time talking about the fact that, you know, we tend to mitigate or, or minimize the importance of the arts uh, when we compare it to the sciences or, or other disciplines, you know, but he, you know, he said, we need artists as much as we need mathematicians and scientists, as much as we need painters. Uh, and he talked about, in fact, wrote a book called the element, which is all about finding your true calling um, also reminds me of that Mark Twain quote, right? Where, where he says like, there's two important days in your life. One is, you know, the day that you were born. And the second one is when you figure out why you were born. Right. Mm. And so I'm always in pursuit of trying to find out what my element is, whether it's, you know, fish to water, bird to air. And that's why I ask about nature versus nurture, because it seems like you kind of came out of the womb creative, <laughs> you know, you're hardwired this way. Also, I'm picking up on this kind of throughput or this thread that I find very common in, I would say all hundred percent of the entrepreneurs I talk to, which is this optimistic spirit, whether it's uh, accurate or a distortion, like I can do anything or I can figure out how to do whatever I put my mind to. I think that's also a very key element 
Um, I want to talk about signals because again, people who are trying to navigate this road, there's also a counter argument, which says, okay, I'm in the camp of do what you love because, uh, and I think Steve Jobs said this too, right? You know, you have to do what you love because otherwise it's not going to scale. You get burnt out. But I'm, I'm in that same camp because it doesn't feel like work to me when I'm doing my work. Um, and I, if I continue to hone my craft, I'll eventually become amazing at it. Uh, but there's also a counter argument which says pursue what you're great at and then try and fall in love with it because, you know, uh, respect and money and all the other things that are necessary to live are, are usually a byproduct of great work. Right. And so if you just fall in love with something you're great at, even if, you know, accounting is like, you know, sticking a hot poker in your eye, you could probably find a way to love it and, and, you know, make a great living at it and, and live comfortably. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I deep side. Um, <laughs> I mean, in what, 40 years, you know, if I'm super lucky in 40 years, I'll be gone for trillions of years and then trillions of years after that times trillions of years forever. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I, I don't know. I, 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 I think about that at night. Like I wake up and I think about the fact that, uh, you know, this is it. This, we get like this little speck of time. That's, yeah. and I know that's trite at this, at this point, everybody talks about the, you know, the, the sort of, shortness of life but god i don't know how you could spend time doing something that just doesn't feel like energizing i mean even even and when i say energizing i, d I don't necessarily mean that like it's just joyful like you know sliding down a slide like not that kind of yeah. joy but the the our 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 finance leader at patreon calls it type two joy it's the joy of learning how to surf and and being underwater all day and getting back up on the surfboard and then a wave comes and crash you down you can't figure it out and then a wave comes and then you're underwater and then you almost drown and then you pop back up like there's a there's a deep joy in that struggle you know yeah. And like, if you just do something that you're great at, like, what's the fun? I don't know. Maybe it's not good advice, but like, what's the fun in that? Like, I like, I want to learn something that I suck at and like get really good at it. And then also do the things that are, just bring me a ton of energy and that I love and that, and that, you know, I, I, I feel like my skills will get better over the years. I mean, music is a great example of that. When I started making music, I sucked at music. <laughs> I so oh my God, my songs were so bad. I, I literally like there's some songs. I hope they never see the light of day on the internet. I'm praying that they never do. The lyrics are terrible. My time is terrible. The production is terrible. The songs are terrible. Um, but I just loved the creation process so much that like I found myself doing it all the time. I would open up my, my computer and just work for 20 minutes. And every time I did that, it was like lifting weights. And, and five years later of going to the gym for six hours a day, like in all the cracks and whenever I could, I had big old music muscles and I could make really good sounding stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know that you can get there unless it's just coming straight from the heart. You know, I, again, maybe that doesn't work for other people, but for me, that's, that's how I think about it. Yeah. I love that answer. So as the artist, what have you learned about yourself from becoming the CEO? You know, what have you learned about yourself from being in business? I, you know, it's, I think it's hard. My wife is a true artist. You know, she paints, she draws, she has a furniture restoration business where she reimagines furniture, uses wax. She's a true artist. You know, um, what I do, you know, is questionably art or not, but you know, whatever. I think you could be a great plumber and have your art of plumbing, but like, so what did you, what have you learned about yourself from going from this artist to now business guy? I, um, even when I was, uh, you know, working on music full time, which I did for about a decade. Um, and, and it, and it worked. I mean, we, we built a business making music. Um, even when I was doing that, I've spent a lot of time, doing business. Uh, so 
in the early days of the internet, uh, at least, you know, in the early days of e-commerce, like before Shopify existed, oh, I guess Shopify had just started, but I was using this company called eJunkie to sell my MP3s online direct to fans, and I would keep all of it, um, as opposed to the the iTunes, you know, giving iTunes the cut. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was, when I first started in like 2008, you know, 2007, I was making 500 bucks a month selling MP3s. And I really enjoyed the business side of it. You know, I really enjoyed figuring out the kind of mechanisms to to make my, you know, art self-sustaining. Um, Did you have, and, do you feel conflicted at all? Like, I, I just heard from other artists, they feel like oh, I'm selling out or it feels icky or did you have those apprehensions? You know, I think I did back in the day and I got over them very quickly because the ultimate, what I, what I kind of learned and realized is the, the ultimate sellout is if I had to stop doing music. Like it's a much better path to figure out how the music can be valuable enough to other people that they'll pay for it. Um, that's a much, I much prefer that path to like getting a job that I don't actually care about <laughs> and spending yeah. my days doing that. Think yeah. about all the songs I wouldn't write. Think about all the, per, you know, the cool sounds I wouldn't make if I spent my days doing this job I didn't like. So I, I got super excited about the business end and I also just legitimately enjoyed it. I enjoyed figuring out, you know, the online interfaces and, and kind of how to talk to fans. And, um, I always liked that stuff. Um, and the fun thing about Patreon is, um, you know, I'm surrounded by people who are so much better than me in, in, in all of their fields. You know, we've, we've hired experts now who are just so good at what they do. And so like, part of my job is just learning from them about like, Okay, here's how you run a PNL. Here's how you set up a PNL. Here's how you do a monthly finance meeting. Here's what you look at. You know, here's um here's how you scale operations and here's how you set goals for teams and here's how you work with teammates. Here's how you manage people. Here's how to have difficult conversations. Here's how to um you know to do uh, conflict work together and all those kinds of business practices. Um I've applied back into Pomplus and Scary Pockets and I I've really Gosh, I, maybe I'm just nerdy. I, I really like, I found that I really like that stuff. It's not all of it. A lot of it's no fun, but, but some of it is, is really fun. And it's cool to see how you can kind of take some core principles around like goal setting, for example, or a monthly finance meeting and apply that to a funk band. Like it, it works. You, it's not the same thing. It's not one for one. But if you make the appropriate tweaks to solve the problems that you're trying to solve for the funk band, you can actually have a monthly finance meeting that really helps the band achieve its goals and be more successful and reach more people and spend its money wisely. And gosh, that's been I love that part of it. So I, yeah, I've, I've, what I found is I really enjoy the intersection of of business and and art, and um and I believe deeply that artists should be paid for their work. I know there's a lot of artists who, oh gosh, I've talked to thousands of artists now who have this sense that like, I don't deserve to be paid for my work, or maybe it's not even deserve. It's just, I don't want to be paid for my work. And I just, I just want, if I could help creative people in one way, it's just like understanding their worth, you know, creators as creators, I'm sure you can, you can, you know, attest this, but you, you open up your YouTube dashboard, you see your ad revenue, you do that every day for a few years. And suddenly you start to think, oh, maybe I do just deserve a hundred dollars a month. Maybe that is my impact in the world. <laughs> and then you see your view counts and you're reaching millions of people and like, no fucking, I don't know if I can swear, but like, no, yeah, go ahead. Let it loose. no fucking way. Like yeah. artists are so much more important than that. Artists are so much more valuable than that. And, yeah. and, uh, and I, I believe artists should be paid for their work. And I try to embody that spirit in my own work as well. Yeah. And if I could add to that, it is frustrating or has been frustrating, you know, pre Patreon and some of these other platforms, uh, because as an artist, you do feel sort of like it's a lonely road. And like, if you could just focus on the art, right. And not have to worry about the finance part of it. It's such a, it's such a drag sometimes, and it's so hard. If you, if there was just, Jack, a turnkey solution where I could just put my art up and, like, you know, it could take care of everything for me if there was just that kind of platform, right? So What a great idea. Uh, mm. Thank goodness. Build that. Thank goodness there's a Patreon. I want to go back to this funk band idea. I had this vision. I sort of had this little, in my mind, this little movie, this 
you know, kind of a recap where you're crunching the numbers and, and you say, you know, I'm glad we did this postmortem analysis on a budget. It turns out we don't need two bass guitarists, you know, and then one of them's like in the corner and he's like, oh. you know, he sort of slunks out the door. Like, you're right. You know, I, we don't need two in this funk band, just one, one bassist. <laughs> we'll do it. So, um, but what you just said, even like the postmortem analysis, we, we don't, we don't use that term. We call it a retro, but mm -hmm. like at Patreon, we do retros when a project finishes, what worked, what didn't work. What do we want to do differently next time? We started doing that at scary pockets on our video shoots. What worked, what didn't work? What do we want to do differently next time? And it made every video shoot so much better. It's such a simple tool. What worked, mm -hmm. what didn't work? What do we want to do next time? You take 15 minutes, you brainstorm as a team. And then you commit to like, okay, here's the changes we're going to make. Having that 15 minute meeting after a practice like that, after a session, it just makes every session better. Then when you go to the next session, oh my gosh, we had lunch. So we didn't have to walk to the thing. So we had an extra hour so we could record an extra song. Boom. You just improved the economics of the whole business. Cause now instead of recording four songs in a day, you're recording five. Like, yeah. and it's because you employ these little techniques and tricks, you know, or, or just stumbling onto the idea of batch processing versus one at a time, right? Like the efficiency of batching. Totally. Yeah. And, and the, the batch model, you know, which is what pockets does and, and what Pomplamoose does, but, you know, batching our songs and, and, and producing, you know, four songs with a band um, in, in one session, as opposed to doing four different sessions. Gosh, it's, that's like the, that, I don't want to call it an innovation. It's not an innovation. It'd be silly to call it innovation, but like that model makes Pomplamoose and Scary Pockets economically viable. Without that little thing, both of those bands would have to like completely retool our creative processes and our businesses would be completely different. So yeah, it's a great example. Yeah. And you know, this is, this principle too is not new. It's like, this is what put Henry Ford on the map, right? He didn't invent the automobile. I think that was uh, the Mercedes Benz group or the Benz group. He just perfected the way that he made the cars so he could make them affordable and, there's a, a great, you know, process. So it is, it, it is a lot about process, right? Um, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. This show is called behind the brand. We talk about brands. Uh, so I'll put you on the spot a little bit and, and have you give me your definition of what a brand is. And then I want you to break down the Patreon brand. Oh, interesting. What is a brand? I think a brand is the abstraction in our minds that we associate with an entity. Wow, that's a weird definition. I don't know that that is <laughs> a whole definition, but it is all of the thing. It's the thoughts, the feelings, the abstraction that we associate with a word, a, a, you know, a company, uh, whatever. It's, it's like that yeah. the sum total of, of thoughts, feelings, ideas. Yeah. Yeah, I think the same too. And, I, and I've gotten, I've had the advantage of hearing this from the people who are credited with, you know, building this kind of stuff, people like Marty Newmeyer and Seth Godin people. And, and what Marty told me, he says, you know, we can understand what a brand is by what it's not, you know, a brand is not your product or service. Uh, a brand is not about advertising or publicity, although, you know, those are vehicles which can help amplify your brand. And he really said, you know, a brand is in the hearts and minds of other people. Um, you can try, you can try as much as you can to control the narrative or, you know, whatever. Uh, but really, it's out of your control once you launch your product or service, and it's what people think or feel about you after they have a touch point. Exactly. So, yeah. Your brand. Your brand is not your your colors or your you know the the font that you choose. No, it's the things that appear in people's minds. It's how they yeah. perceive you. Yeah. 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 And so, so with with that definition, then, so what is the Patreon brand like? What do you stand for? What is it about? So I'll I'll give you the you know I, the. the because of, of what, how we just defined brand, like I'm the wrong person to ask that question of, right? <laughs> um, well, but you are the visionary, right? So, so yeah, I can tell you, I can tell you what it, what it means to me. And, you know, and, and of course we, we study, you know, what, what do people think of us and what do yeah. people think of our brand? And, but uh, and, don't sell yourself shorter because you are the Richard Branson or the Steve jobs in this story, Jack, like you, you're the guy who, this is your vision. This is your baby. So totally. 
you should be able to articulate the brand. It doesn't have to be perfect or, you know. I, I'll say the most important thing about Patreon, um, and I like kind of boiling it down to, to one to one principle. Um, the, the most important thing for, for me about Patreon is that it, it's a creator-first organization. Creator-first. And that means it's not advertiser-first. Um, and, uh, and that is a big important thing on the web right now. I feel like on a lot of platforms, creators feel like they're not the ones that these companies are building for. There's this <laughs> feeling of... I, I just got a, a great email from Medium, you know, where you can write stuff. Uh, and I got a check for seven cents uh, for some of the articles I wrote. I mean, I took hours and hours and hours and I got a few pennies. I mean, aren't they thinking of me? So that's, that's <laughs> what I'm talking about. I... I brutal, right? Br- too brutal to even to kind of, and then multiply that by billions of people on the web, and and anyway, it, it's too brutal. But yeah, so so that creator first mindset. I think there's a lot of companies that um, you know that are that are building and perceiving the world and solving problems, and they're looking at the world through the lens of an advertiser. How can yeah. we, even if they say they're looking at it through the lens of you and me and consumers? The customer is the advertiser. I know, you know, again, a lot of people are quite familiar with the mechanics of the attention economy, but the customer is the advertiser. That's who that's who's paying. And so these companies are trying to figure out how can we serve our customers? How can we serve our advertisers? And yeah. um, and that is that is a very different lens than the one through which Patreon perceives the world. We perceive the world through the lens of a creator. And that I think is the, the ultimate thing about our brand that that is different and that makes us the company that we are. I, I love that you made that differentiation because I'll add one more thing to that, which is the artist then is the product, right? You're the product that the platform is selling, right? Um, you I mean, think, the, go ahead. <laughs> you think that your art is what you're selling, but actually you're in this matrix where you have become the platform's product, right? And without you, they have nothing, right? And they're just monetizing you. Uh, so yeah. the, the, way, the way I like to think about this is like, ultimately that is up to a creator, and and the, and Patreon provides the kind of the, the tools, but the creator can decide what's for sale. And I think you're you're right in that some creators, are, it's more about a community, and it's more about like interaction, and it's more about you know connection with them. And and I think in that case, yes, patrons are paying to interact with that creator and to hang with that creator. But that, there's a lot of creators on Patreon where the product is the podcast. Like the pay, when you ask the patrons, what are you paying for? They say, I want the podcast for an extra five bucks a month. And they want the digital download. They want the RSSS, you know, RSS yeah. uh, subscription. Go ahead. Well, to be clear. So like, if you are like, so I, I'm a huge fan of YouTube, you know, both of us are, but when you put your video on YouTube, you, you are the product, you are YouTube's product. They don't have anything to sell without you versus Patreon, where I feel like it's more, audience direct it's like going to a, a live concert and you can I reach down and yeah. shake hands of the people and you could pass out t-shirts or sell t-shirts or sell your music um it's a very different experience you know or one is it's like audience direct yeah on patreon and and when you're on google or facebook or any other whether it's tiktok that's now monetizing doesn't matter what the what the platform is you the artist are tiktok's product and you, you probably don't know it yeah it's it's there there are a lot of mechanics about that ecosystem that i think are pretty you know hurtful um and i think we're having a, a mass reckoning <laughs> with a lot yeah. of those hurtful dynamics whether it's the the implications to privacy or addiction or uh, you know, all, all the all the things that we're starting to see, you know, the, the the kind of fracturing of even what knowledge means and what knowledge is. And yeah, these are like deep problems that we're dealing with. And ultimately, I do think it stems from the fact that, you know, a world where uh, where attention is a is essentially a proxy for revenue um, 
you get a lot of negative side effects of that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we're seeing that play out like at, at a global scale right now, which is pretty, it's pretty scary. Yeah. Burnout's another um, result of this, right? Like this, this, this need to feed the alligator, the alligator gets hungry about every hour and, and, you know, you can feed it for a while on a, on a daily basis, but then like, whew, like you gotta go get more food and it's like the alligator needs more food. And so, you know, if you let it go, it do, it dies. Yeah, the burnout thing. The, this I call that the content treadmill. Or if you you know, uh, Ed Catmull um, wrote a book on on the founding of Pixar, and he calls it feeding yeah. the beast. Um, yeah. th- there is a th- yeah. Th- when when time spent is the key metric, <laughs> um, then then as a creator, the, the incentive structure that the ecosystem imposes on you is more, 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 which is different than an ecosystem where somebody can make a three minute video, but it's incredibly valuable to people because it's such a deep message and it's so well made and it's such a moving narrative. Yeah. And that is something that, look, I'm going to pay $25 for that video because I just love it. And when you're ready to make a new one, make a new one and we'll pay you 25 again for that. That's a very different incentive structure. And I think the burnout problem is is a side effect and stems from from the kind of the, the world where more is more money. I'm so glad that you said that because I am also, you know, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, right? I'm guilty of feeding the alligator uh, or feeling like I need to, or the FOMO, right? The fear of missing out because, oh, damn, you know, uh, David Dobrik just uploaded another one or, you know, so-and-so, whoever it is, right? Flavor of the month. Um, I think better is better than more right now if you can do better and you can make that scale you know kudos to you great i mean that's amazing but i think it is at least in my mind a quality over quantity thing and again you know i don't want to have this be a tongue bath for patreon but like that is one of the benefits of a platform like that, where you can really, if you've got your audience, a captive audience, and they care about you, and you say, listen, this is going to only be once a month, because what I'm bringing to you is is that good. It takes me that long to make it. But when you get it, it's going to be fantastic. So, you know, chill out. Versus on YouTube, it's like, I've constantly got to be, you know, stoking that fire, or else it goes out, you know. Uh, I think that's a good option. Yeah, I, I, I think when, so w- what I believe, and, and I've, I've talked about this before, and I, it's, a, it's just a, a prediction, I'll make it again right now. <laughs> um, I believe that as, as consumer payments starts to become uh, the, the, the primary driver of art production on the web, which it's not right now. Right now, advertising dollars are, is the primary uh, like financial engine for content production on the web. But as that becomes consumer payments, which is already happening, right? All these platforms are experimenting with with consumer payments. Twitter released super follows and Facebook has fan subscriptions and YouTube has channel memberships and Patreon's coming in there with the membership system. As consumer payments starts to take over, the whole web is going to start to shift toward things that are truly valuable to others, to people, instead of things that are clickable and candy-ish and sugary and sweet, and I just want another little hit and I get a dopamine hit when I open my phone, um, I think we're going to start to see art on the web make a transition over the next decade or two toward truly beautiful, valuable stuff that we that is inspiring and moving and motivating and meaningful to us as, as humans. And, and again, I'm an optimist, so I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll say that one more time. But I really believe that that's going to happen on the web. And, and I believe we're going to look back at this age of, you know, mass, low common denominator, candy, uh, addicty um, content production. And, and we're going to we're going to have kind of a, a revelation in retrospect as we look at what happened around the globe. I hope you're right. I, I'm an optimist, too. I believe it. I'll also put my two cents in there is that I think there will continue to be both. Uh, mm-hmm. The metaphor I think about is when you go shopping, you know, right before you hit the cash register is all that shit right there that you don't need. Uh, it's not good for you. It's an impulse buy. 
it's always going to be right at the cash register right before you hit the, you know, I'm ready to pay button. You did your important shopping out there. You got what you really wanted. And then at the last minute, they're like, couldn't you just use some bubble gum? <laughs> you know, whatever. So, you know, it's fine. You spend a couple of dollars on that. And I'm sure that's always going to be a bit of a temptation. But I, I hope that you're right. I hope that there is a shift. And there's definitely been a trend. We're seeing um, the power shift back into the hands of the creators. It's I don't think it's ever been a better time to be a creator, an artist, especially because you can go audience direct. It's a It's an amazing time. What are your thoughts on this, though? Someone who would push back and say, well, you know, someone's already done a funk band that does, uh, you know, super cool, you know, DJ mixes and um, mashups. That's already been done. I can't do it anymore. What would you say to people that, that say it's, it's already been done? <laughs> this is like the most – This is a higher resolution camera yeah. than the ones that were used to shoot some of my favorite movies of all time. This is in my pocket. I carry yeah. it around with me and it's a higher fidelity camera than the ones used to shoot some of the greatest stories ever told. Like, and, and not only do creators have these creation tools that are cheap and ubiquitous and they're, they're everywhere. We have these creation tools. Not only do we have the tools to create, but the pipes are open. It used to be BBC One, BBC Two, BBC Three, and somebody in a suit had to tell you that you were cool enough to say something to the world, and then you got to speak into the microphone. Now there's a billions of channels, and not only can you make the stuff, but you can reach anybody. Like the the that like. To say that this is the best time in the history of humanity to, to be a creator is a gross understatement. Like it has never been easier, better, more exciting or, 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 or more, you know, opportunistic. It's never been a better moment for creators in the history of humans to make stuff and reach other people with the things that you make. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that this is a we are at an amazing moment in history. So as we round third base, come home here, um, I like to talk about the F word failure because it's a stigma, you know, to some people it's a sticking point or, you know, it's a place where they get stuck. Um, where have you failed in order to sort of figure out how to get it right? Like what failures have you made? What have you learned from it? I fail all the time. <laughs> Um, I face plant all the time so often that I made a video about it um, where I just list all of my most epic failures one after the next. It's a 45 minute <laughs> video. Um, and I mean, it's there, there are sort of like micro fails on a day to day basis. And then there are things that like were big projects that I really cared about that just fizzled. Um, and 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 so yeah, the, the the I would say there's like a range of of failures, not just in scope, but also in uh, in you know DefCon alert level. You know. Yeah. Well, and, so let me embed another question in in the question, which is, how do you feel about failure now versus like when you first started? Do you have a different perspective I, on it? I do. I used to be when I when I would spend you know five days making a YouTube video and you know I'd cut things out of cardboard and I'd put markers on it and I'd put, get out a projector and I'd do 3D projection mapping and I'd write out the story and you know do all the sets and like and I just thought that this is my masterpiece this is the best YouTube video I ever uploaded and I'd upload it and then it would just disappear um, like nobody saw it like it like YouTube forgot to deliver it to our subscribers that mm -hmm. would wreck me like i would get wrecked by that because i just felt like i worked so hard and it felt like such a flop and i would i would be like down for weeks after something like that and then my perspective kind of changed uh as i learned more about artists and business people and and you know my heroes um i learned about their approach to these things and the best way i could kind of summarize it is um you know you make a lot of things and some of them work and some of them don't. And that's not in my control. Like I, what I can do is I can make a lot of things. I can't influence which ones work and which ones don't. I think Irving Berlin wrote something like, 
he published like 1500 songs in his life. And he was supposed, so somebody once said that he wrote for every song he published, he wrote 10. That means he wrote 15,000 songs in his life. He published 1500 of them. He only had a couple Grammys and hits in there, like three or four. Um, so out yeah. of 1500 songs, like the, one of the greatest songwriters who's ever lived. Some people say Irving Berlin is the greatest songwriter that's ever lived, wrote 1500 songs and won four Grammys. Like, what are you, what's your batting average there? It's actually not, it's not like he's like churning out Grammy after Grammy. Um, so yeah, the, the, like what is not in your control is which things work and which things don't. What is in, in my control is making stuff passionately that I care about that I think has a good chance of reaching other people and, and helping other people, you know, find meaning. So two questions now that are sort of begging the question, which is what should we be measuring if it's not the optics and how long do we give this really great idea of ours until we cut bait and, and pivot or move on to the next thing or shelf it? Yeah. How, how should we measure ourselves? So, um, this is different for everybody. And this is one of those things where um, I, I think it's hard to give advice because they're different people, you know, have different things that matter to them. So um, for me, I, I know like the things that matter to me as an artist, but those are different things than things that matter to that person or that person, you know, things that I like in my music. I really care about harmony. I care about voice leading. I care about, um, well-crafted melodies. I care about form and song structure. I care about um, production that is both um, standing on the shoulders of of giants um, and also like you know rooted in the past, but but then totally fresh and different and nothing that you've ever heard before. Um, mm -hmm. Like those, like the, the you know, there's many more things, but like those are the things I care about as a song producer and as a as an artist. Um, and then I also care about impact on other people. If I'm making art in a, in a vacuum, I'm not one of those artists who's like, fuck it. I write for myself and I don't care if anybody ever hears it. I wish I was one of those artists. I, the truth is I'm not, I would like to be, but I care if my music reaches other people. Yeah. And, and I'm not convinced that that's not an excuse or that's fronting what's really underneath, which is I am scared to death that I'm not as great as I think I am, or that I might be labeled a failure et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is also, by the way, supernatural for genius artists. I'm sure Michelangelo and the, you know, Leonardo da Vinci's of the world probably felt like no one cares about my art at some point. Right. Yeah. And, and that feeling, I've had that feeling all the time. I, start, I think artists feel that all the time. There's always somebody who's reached more people. And so if that's the only thing you care about that, that doesn't work either. And so what I've found is like, I care about the craft and the, and the actual, you know, the things that I make and the, and the things about those things. I care about impact on other people. And then I also just care about, um, I care about the why behind my work, right? Like you can't lose sight of the why, like the, the comments that Pomplanus gets on our video, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up my own butt here, but like, you know, we, we, we reach people with our music. We, we help them make decisions. We help them think about their lives and, and, we cheer people up and we, you know, help people have a good morning. And um, we help, you know, we get messages from fans who say like, your music was the soundtrack of me and my girlfriend falling in love this summer. And like, yeah. we will forever cherish this album. And, and that like that, we care about that too. You know, it's kind of like all these, all those things. So like, how should you measure yourself? Well, are, are you doing those three things? Are you, you know, for, for us at least, it's like, are we making the craft? Do we have the harmony and the voice leading that we care about? Do, are we having the impact that we want to have? Are we reaching other people? And then are we having that quality of impact? Are we really having meaning and value in people's lives? And, and yeah, we think about those things. We, we, you know, we, we, I don't know that we like rigorously track all of those things, but we, um, we, we absolutely think about them and, and kind of document them. We even have like a hashtag love doc on our, uh, uh, in, in Google docs where we just literally, you know, leave comments from fans so that we can kind of study them later. Yeah. I, I'm so glad that you said that. I think it's really important. It, you know, in business terms, those would be called KPIs, key performance indicators or goals and objectives, you know, on a balance sheet, whatever. Um, but the return on your investment can be other things that have nothing to do with money or finances. You know, it can be impact or 
joy. I, I have like this ROJ measurement with this return on joy. Is it making me happy? Like, am I literally like getting up in the morning and I'm like psyched to do my work? Um, that is like one of my measurements. Like, how am I doing? Uh, so I'm so glad you said that. I love that. And that's such a great example of like, you know, everybody, everybody has their own thing that like really matters to them and, 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 you know, their own way of kind of tracking. And I think the, the important hard work as an artist is to know, Hey, what's important to me and to like, think about that and be intentional about it. The other, maybe if I throw in my two cents um, about measurement is, and this is something I learned from lots of other smart people. So I didn't invent this, but I sort of adopted it as my own, which is, you know, if the if the risk outweighs the benefit, it's not really worth doing. In other words, like I'm up 30,000 feet in an airplane. I don't have a parachute on and I decide to jump out. I might only get one shot at doing that. Um, but like if the reward uh, is 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 worth, you know, the risk, if I can come back and if I could try and I fail and I try and I fail and I try and I fail, but at least I can come back and fight another day then it's like, okay, I'm willing to do that because it's not, I'm not risking everything on just one shot. Um, because eventually I think built into that idea, this like person who fails the most wins is that eventually if you can come back and fight another day that you will figure it out, right? You sort of navigate through trial and error. Um, and I'm mostly, figured out. I'm, I mostly agree with that. And I actually think that that is the, the, like the, I, I really, I think that's the kind of right way to think about it. And um, there's something to be said for just doing crazy shit. <laughs> like, um, you know, P Patreon, I didn't, you know, I, I remember sitting at my kitchen table after sketching it all out on, on printer paper. Um, and like, I was paralyzed. I couldn't pick up the phone to, to call my friend to like ask him to, to, to build this. Um, I couldn't do that until I literally said to myself, this isn't going to work. <laughs> eh, that's okay. Like, it's not going to work. I'm going to do it anyway, even though there's zero chance. Like, like who, you know, I, and so sometimes I guess what I'm saying is it's, it can be helpful to like bury some of your prudence in the backyard for a couple months and just do some crazy shit that, you know, who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> and yeah, and if it works, it'd be great. And I'm all for that moonshot. Like, I think we need to be ambitious. I agree. But I think, what I'd point out is that you didn't like mortgage your house and, you know, like jeopardize your safety and like you didn't risk it all on, you know, 13 black, right? It was an ambitious project. Maybe you didn't even feel qualified to do it, but you know, the risk um, was not as great as the benefit or the benefit far outweighed the risk. And so it was worth doing. And it's just a simple calculation. You know, if I, if this is going to kill me and I die and I get one shot, is it worth it? The probably, the answer is probably no. Right. Especially if death is involved. I don't, I don't gamble much with that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but usually most things usually are not uh, like, I don't know, do or die. Right. And yeah. so, although we manufacture that in our minds, whether it's like getting up on stage and performing for the first time or like putting our, out, our art out into the world, pushing publish on that video, it's scary, but it's not going to kill us, right? Yeah. yeah. I, that's such an important thing to, to keep in mind is like, yeah, often those, you know, the, 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 the catastrophizing that we do in our brains uh, stays in our brains and it's usually not that bad. Yeah. Parting words for entrepreneurs. Um, when I was starting Patreon, I called up a bunch of people, and they all told me not to do it and that it wouldn't work and that it, it couldn't it couldn't happen. And then um, I called up forty creators and tried to get them to launch on the platform, and all of them said no. Forty out of forty said no. Um, and so I launched on the platform <laughs> just for my own YouTube channel. Um, and yeah, there's a million reasons not to do things. Like there's a million, you can always come up with reasons um, and other people will come up with reasons and, and will tell you not, not to do things. It's so much easier also to not do things. <laughs> so, um, but again, like, 
you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather be underwater and learning how to surf and, uh, and, and, and sucking at it, you know, um, and at least trying. Right, so uh, yeah, again, tr- tr- trite advice, but, uh, but yeah, fuck, fuck the haters and, and go for it. <laughs> I mean, we were just sitting back, you know, <laughs> chopping it up, reminiscing about the good old days and all that, <laughs> you know, tracking my roots where I came from and where I'm going. Like I say, man, always said it. It's not about the destination. It's all about the journey. Ain't nothing changed but the weather. The dangling carrot and hang from the rear view. Uh-huh. Your dreams in the past ain't nowhere near you. Backseat drivers got nothing but two cents. Shotgun riders, too biased, they all liars. I should get an A for effort, I'm too tired. But I'm never giving up, that's why I'm kinda admired. Role model, like it or not, I gotta play it. Sugarcoat the rhyme sometimes, but still say it. Said I was quitting at 40, is just a fib. I'm still a kid that's wiping the food off of my bib. You ever wanted something so bad that you could taste it? Cried over every opportunity wasted good and bad news which one you want first either way you pick the bad still gonna hurt you the worst i never got to bask in the fruits of the